If you are here for the first time, uh, we're so thankful that you're with us today. We really hope and pray that uh, New City Church would be a place of uh, rest and refuge for everybody that comes in and, and worships with us. You know, today we, uh, we come to the part of Joshua that reads like the Register of Deeds. <laughs> uh, like going to the county website and reading about land parcel after land parcel uh, for nine chapters straight. And over the past 12 months, uh, or at past 12 chapters in Joshua, it's read much like battle narratives, like preparing for battle and going into battle, seeing multiple battles. Like it's the upbeat and exciting part of Joshua. But if you look at the book of Joshua, you'd see that there's 24 chapters, which means we're officially halfway through the book. But this next section that we're covering today is filled with lists and names and places that, quite honestly, I'm not even sure if I can pronounce them all correctly. Okay, but just to give you a small taste of our text, let's read the first five verses in chapter 13. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Geshurites from the Shihor, uh, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron, it is uh, counted as Canaanite. There are five rulers of the Philistines, those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, and those of the Avim in the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Merah that belonged to the Sidonians, to Aphex, to the boundary of the Amorites and the land of the Gebelites, and all the Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon and Lebo Hamath. Like, I think you get the point, okay? Y'all, that's just our first five verses in chapter 13. I'm just reading the names, like, this is hard work. And it continues like this for eight and a half more chapters. For 267 more verses, like I counted them. And as we approach these nine chapters today, in chapters 13 all the way to chapter 21, there are two different ways that we can approach this. Like I could either brush off my 7th and 8th grade geography teacher hat that I wore uh, when I taught in Central Asia, bringing out all the maps and the pointer stick, and show all the boundary lines of all the regions throughout the chapter that we see in this, these, these nine chapters, trying to pronounce all the names. And maybe some of you are like me and might find that somewhat enjoyable and a little interesting. Uh, you know, maybe me watching me get a little tongue-tied over these names uh, might be a little entertaining. But my guess is that after 30, about 30 minutes of that, most of you would be falling asleep. And so, you know, as John Calvin has said about this approach, doing this would be, as he said, great labor, but it would produce little fruit. And so I do want to say that although this would put us to sleep today, uh, we must acknowledge for Israel back then, the details of this land were very important. Like these were historical and legal documents of the land that they inherited. Yes, to us, they read very much like the register of deeds, just, to, just describing a bunch of land. But to them, at their time, these detailed documents, they were a big deal. You know, maybe in today's context, it would be more like us going on to Zillow after your entire family just inherited land and property. Uh, and houses. Like it would have been way more exciting for them back then, kind of like kids on Christmas morning excited. Uh, just think about all that they've been through. You know, they were in slavery in Egypt for 430 years. They get out of slavery miraculously and through an incredible work of God, and then they go and spend 40 years kind of wandering around in the wilderness. And then they enter into this land they were promised now almost 500 years prior, and they spend several years at war conquering this land. And then as we ended last week, we saw the land had rest from war. And today we see God's people inherit this land, all of this land. 
And so to us, yes, it reads like a long, like laborious list of names and cities that is just not so exciting to us. But as we look over these nine chapters today, we cannot miss that this absolutely is a gift from the Lord. Again, they've been freed from bondage and slavery. They've spent years wandering, years of battling and war. And today we see them like receive their inheritance. And again, as we look at these nine chapters, it should seem more like an award ceremony of some sort. Like this is a big deal. And I think that's helpful to know. But for us, as we look at this in our context today, we need to ask ourselves, how should we engage a text like this? Like outside of just understanding all these boundary lines. Because we know that 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that we may be equipped for every good work. And so we need to ask, how in the world do these nine names, nine chapters of names and places, how do they train us and equip us and teach us and correct us for good works? And so yes, plan A is to put on my old geography teacher hat uh, and pull out all the maps which, yes, there is a time and place for that. But then we also need to ask, well, what's plan B? Like, how can we uh, be trained and equipped by these nine chapters? Well, plan B is we use our New Testament to help us with our Old Testament. You know, this, this past summer, um, I decided I want to learn how to make chocolate chip cookies. Hang with me here, okay? This is going to make sense, I hope. You know, I wanted to learn how to uh, make them from scratch. You know, I'm already kind of a, a, a slice and bake pro, um, but I wanted my own recipe. You know, me and my kids, we'd experiment on all the different ingredients uh, that, you know, how to make different cookies in different ways. You know, no matter the amount, we had our dry ingredients like the flour and the sugar and the baking soda, salt, uh, and maybe some oats if we were feeling kind of fancy. And we throw in the chocolate chips in there and we kind of mix it all in the bowl. And then we take all those things that help it stick together. And we make, uh, make it a cookie, like the butter and the oil and the egg, and we'd mix it all the other, together, we'd throw it in the oven, and then uh, voila, we'd have chocolate chip cookies most of the time, if it worked out well. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take all of the dry ingredients from Joshua 13 to 21, and we're going to bring Jesus, and we're going to bring our New Testament into the equation, and we're going to heat it up, and we're going to make some cookies today. Now, we're not going to uh, dissect the flour and the sugar and look at each piece of land and each tribe, but we are going to step back and look at the big picture, which means this week will be like last week where we won't read every verse like we typically do, going line by line, but rather we're going to just highlight a, key, a few key verses. And as we step back and look at the big picture from the bird's eye view of these chapters, we'll see our main idea, and it's that God gives generously for kingdom advancement. Without a doubt, what we see in our nine chapters of Israel inheriting their land is God's desire to build and advance his kingdom. New City today is all about kingdom advancement, where we see God conquering new territory and then entrusting it to his people as a generous gift. Like God did not conquer enemy territory to then keep his people out of it. No, in the, last, in the past 12 chapters, we saw God and God's people conquer new land to be given as a blessing for God's people. And as we kind of step back and look at the big picture, we see Israel, we, we see them inherit this new land as a blessing. It was a gift. But the kingdom was then given for God's kingdom of people to expand and advance. So God gave them this land as a gift so that there would be more room for God's people to multiply and, and expand his kingdom. You know, as we look into our New Testament and what uh, Jesus came to do, we see this same idea continuing to play out. Yes, Jesus came to bless God's people, but when Jesus came and was added to the equation, he, he just totally changed the recipe. 
Jesus didn't come to invade new land. No, he, he came to invade new hearts. Jesus came to take enemy territory, but like we saw last week, it wasn't a physical battlefield that Jesus came to take. No, he came to advance in a spiritual one. Jesus came to battle for the hearts and souls of people. And as 21st century Christians, looking back on these nine chapters of land in Joshua, we have an entirely new perspective and a new set of glasses to study God's Word. Like, yes, the maps and the geography, we should look at them and study them, but I think we'd be missing something really sweet if we missed the heart of God in these chapters. And quite honestly, I find this passage very fitting as we just get closer to the end of the year. You know, as we've done every year, uh, and we'll continue to do, looking at God's heart for kingdom expansion all over the world, specifically through missions and church planting. You know, from the very beginning of the Bible all the way to the end, we see God's desire to fill the earth with people that worship Him. Genesis 1.28, we see that God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. Essentially, to fill the earth with worshipers. They were given the land in the garden in order to fill it up with people that worship God. And that is exactly what we see God doing here in Joshua. God gave his people this new land in order to fill it up with people that worship God. And this same idea continues with Jesus in the Great Commission all the way to the end of the Bible. And so as we look at this kind of register of deeds, so to speak, in Joshua 13 to 21, I want us to step back and see the heart of God in the whole story. Like seeing God's heart to expand his kingdom. As we look at our text, I'm going to draw out six ideas or like six observations that we see specifically about kingdom expansion through these chapters. You know, over the past few weeks, we've seen a lot of battles won. It has naturally driven us to see the battles in our own life and how God works in them. And in, and in many ways, they've been more inward focus. Well, today is more outward focus, kind of looking at the world around us. And if we're not careful, I think our life can easily become more focused inwardly like focusing on our struggles and our battles, which please hear me, these are very important. Like we need to address them and wrestle with them because like God absolutely cares about them. But what we can't miss as one of God's means to bring us joy and contentment and satisfaction is to lift up our eyes, like to lift up our heads and to look out into the world and to totally redirect our attention to something that is way bigger than us. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look out. Yes, like we have our battles to fight, but one of the ways he's, God has given us to help us fight these battles is to then give us a new purpose. It puts us in a new direction. And so today, we're going to talk about this new direction. You know, yes, the, go the gospel of Jesus, it makes us clean and new. The cross of Jesus, yes, it provides forgiveness of sin, but we cannot miss that the cross, uh, what, what comes with it is it also called, God calls us with it into his purpose. He calls us into a new work. And this new work that comes with the cross is kingdom advancement. You know, if we profess faith in Jesus, we have a hope, we have a healing, we have restoration and rest in Jesus. And yes, we want to give it to, those, uh, to other people around us. We want to share it for their good. But what I'm also saying in this is that when we're a part of God's mission that is way bigger than us, as a collective effort, it's not just for others' good, but it is also for our own good. And so as we look at these kind of six thoughts and observations on kingdom advancement, we need to ask, what is kingdom advancement? Well, the answer is number one. Kingdom advancement takes enemy territory. When we expect God's kingdom, 
Like when, we're, when we expand God's kingdom, we're bringing, bringing God's presence into a new people and a place by seeing the gospel take roots in the, into the hearts of people and places. You know, when I was in college, me and my friends, uh, we played a game called Risk, which is just a board game where you essentially take over the world. <laughs> uh, and y'all, we had some heated battles. I loved it. Uh, but essentially, you would build up armies and seek to take enemy territory. Until you've gotten in every land and every territory, like that's how you win. You, you invade every spot on the map. And as Christians, this is basically what God has called us to do. We seek to invade enemy territory all over the world with God's presence through gospel proclamation. Because we know in God's kingdom, there is an enemy that puts up opposition to God's purposes. And we've seen this throughout the whole book of Joshua. Like there has been king after king and military after military that have sought to oppose the purposes of God. And these kings and militaries have been against God. They knew God. They knew his power and they sought to fight him anyways. And God could have let them stay in their land and not put up a fight against them and just let them stay. But you know what I learned in the game of risk? If you let the enemy stay and build, their stronghold gets stronger and stronger. And if God's people don't enter into enemy territory and take enemy ground, if God's people don't expand, the enemy surely will. And so what does this commander, what does the commander of the Lord's army do? He led God's people to take over enemy territory. And again, we've seen this week after week in the book of Joshua. God's people going into a physical battle. But again, as we've been saying, our battles and our enemies today, they're not fought in a physical battle battlefield. No, we're fighting a spiritual battle. We're fighting against spiritual forces. Today, we're not battling to expand physical boundaries. No, we're battling for the hearts of people. And we share the gospel and proclaim Jesus, and someone responds in faith, this is kingdom advancement. Because the Spirit of God, the presence of God, enters new hearts, and it enters a new territory, so to speak. And we know that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us, that before someone responds in faith and, and accepts Jesus, we see that they are opposed to God. It's, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that those who don't respond in faith to Jesus, they're enemies with God. But when someone hears the gospel of Jesus, of Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead, and when someone says, yes, I trust that Jesus rose from the dead and my sins are paid, like they're no longer enemies with God, but rather they're deemed children of God. New City, this is kingdom advancement. Like when our friends and our neighbors respond in faith, they go from enemies of God to children of God. And darkness is being pushed back and worship of God is being advanced. Like this is what we get to be a part of as followers of Jesus. And y'all, this is way, way bigger than us. It calls us to lift up our heads and to look out into the world and see what God is doing. Like when we patiently love our friends and neighbors and coworkers and family members and week after week and month after month, they are they see that they are loved and they have, we have their best interest in mind and, we, we, and show them the goodness of God. God uses this uh, to warm their hearts to Jesus so they can respond in faith and hear the gospel. In God's kingdom, it advances. And when God uses us to be a part of that, simply just using the process, you know what this does for us when we see someone come to faith? It brings us, it reminds us of our joy and purpose. And so as we scan over these nine chapters, kind of looking at kingdom advancement, I recognize that this is going to seem a bit choppy, you know, with our six different ideas and observations, because we're pulling out just a few verses and themes out from our text. But hang with me, because in the end, it's all going to come together. Okay, because I want us to next look at chapter 13, 
verse 1, to see one of these themes to get to our next idea. Look what it says. Now Joshua was old and advanced in years. And the Lord said to him, you are old and advanced in years. And there remains yet very much land to possess. I love this, okay? God, called, God tells Joshua right after the battle, hey, you're old. Like, you're advanced in years. And you know what I love about these, that verse? Right after he tells them he's old, he tells them, hey, there's still much land to possess. Like, there's still more kingdom advancement that needs to be done. Yes, they've obtained a lot. That They've got an inheritance. But guess what? The conquest, it's not over. And God still wants to use them, him. And then if we flip to the end of chapter 14, uh, as we sift through the land allotment, look at what we see with Caleb. Caleb says in verses 7, Caleb says in verses 7 and 8, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word against it, against as, again, as it was in my heart. My brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so we're just kind of seeing a historic, an interesting historical note saying that when Joshua and Caleb went to spy out the land back in Numbers chapter 13, Joshua tells them that they were 40 years old. And look what it says next in verses, or it says in verses 10 and 11, in chapter 14. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 40 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for coming, for going and coming. So to get this, uh, Caleb was 40 when he spied out the land, and then they went into the wilderness for 40 more years, which means when Caleb started to fight these battles against all these kings, he was 80 years old. He fought these battles for five years, and now he's 85. Like he, he too is like, I'm feeling better now than ever. Like, I'm ready to keep fighting. And so get this, like Joshua and Caleb, when they were fighting all these battles that we've looked at over the past, like several weeks, they were not in their 20s fighting. No, they were in their 80s fighting all these battles, like as we've seen, like seeking to advance God's kingdom, which leads me to say, number two, new city, kingdom advancement is a lifelong endeavor. Just like Joshua and Caleb were used by the Lord until the very end of their life and actually being most effective at the end of their life, New City, my hope and prayer is that our church would be filled and filled and filled with Joshua's and Caleb's who were advanced in years, like seeking to advance the kingdom for the rest of their life. Like if you are in college or right out of college or a young family, you should be praying and praying and praying for more people like this because you and me, we need them to love on us and to encourage us and to lead the way in kingdom advancement. You know, I cannot let our church forget that we started New City with worldwide global kingdom advancement in mind. And yes, we came here specifically uh, because of USF. Like it's a, college, it's a college campus, it's a global campus. But I also, uh, because of the retiree population here, who still have the last half to the third of their life that have the ability to leverage their retirement for kingdom advancement. And in all honesty, can possibly be more effective in discipleship and multiplication simply because of their financial freedom and time. Like we intentionally have our groups as multi-generational and not siloed out by age because we so adamantly believe that all ages and all walks of life, we need each other. Because again, kingdom advancement, it is a lifelong process. But then next, another kingdom advancement principle that we see you kind of uniquely sprinkled 
in our passage as we get to our next point that seems a bit kind of out of left field in some ways is what we see with the Levites. And as I was reading through these chapters, I found it really strange that the Levites were the only tribe that didn't get an inheritance of land. Like it seems like they got snubbed in some way, like the short end of the stick. You know, if you read through chapter 13, as they're dividing up the land, it's like this tribe gets this land and that tribe gets that land. And then at the end, it says in verse 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord of God, uh, Lord God of Israel are their inheritance, as he said to them. And then he keeps going, continuing to divide the land. And he says it again and again. And we keep seeing this. It's repeated over and over again. Everybody gets an inheritance of land except for the tribe of Levi. And we hear that and think, well, those poor Levites. Like, I saw that and I thought, well, like, what, what do they do to, like, lose out on their inheritance? It kind of feels like everybody going around at Christmas, opening up their presents, and then they get to the Levites and they're like, sorry, uh, nothing for you. The Lord is your gift. <laughs> Which is what uh, they says about their inheritance. And I get it, yeah, like, the Lord is our best inheritance. I get that. I don't want to understate that. But when, we, when I think to myself, yeah, but it, doesn't everybody also get the Lord? And then don't they also get the land as well? Again, it feels like me saying to my wife on Christmas, I didn't get you a gift. My love is your gift. And if I did that, my wife would be like, you forgot, didn't you? Like, you just forgot. And she started asking questions. Again, when we see strange things like this, this should cause us to just stop and dig and ask questions and be curious because something we need to keep in mind when we come to Old Testament especially is that it assumes we have a knowledge of past history. It's almost like the entire Bible is just filled with hyperlinks of information to click on, and it assumes that we know it, which is why the Bible can be really complicated at times. And so when we almost click on that hyperlink of history from the tribe of Levi, so try to stay with me for about two minutes here as I explain this, we find out that this tribe of Levi was set apart by God and given a high honor to work in the tabernacle. Like they were like the facilities and maintenance people that God entrusted to work and to keep his sacred space where God's people would worship. And this was a high honor. And there's a long history here that's full of both high honor and extreme failure that we won't get into. But in it, we see that God, he's keeping his word over and over again in spite of the disobedience of his people. But if we flipped over several more chapters... We see that, no, they were not given land as an inheritance, but rather, when you get to Joshua chapter 21, the very last chapter we're covering today, we see that these Levites, they were entrusted with cities. There were 48 cities given to the tribe of Levi, and these 48 cities we later see end up being places that were set apart for worship. And so, no, they didn't get a physical land as an inheritance, but they were entrusted with cities that were set apart for worship. And with that, every other tribe was then responsible to tithe to provide for the needs of the tribe of Levi, which is where we get the idea of tithing, where that comes from, giving 10% to support the work of ministry. But the point I want to draw out of this is to point out that the Levites, no, they did not inherit the land, but they were still entrusted with kingdom work. Their role in kingdom advancement was through working to maintain the house of the Lord so that God's people could worship. And God saw it fit to put these cities in accessible places so that the worship of the Lord could happen in all places. And the Levites were the ones given the privilege to help the other tribes then worship the Lord. Okay, so if I lost you at any point along the way there, check back in, okay? 
Because all of this leads us to see number three, kingdom advancement happens through serving so others can worship. So these Levites were given the honor and set apart to serve God's people. And yes, I think we could easily translate this to pastors and ministry workers, but I do not want us to miss that from the very beginning, God's means to advance his kingdom is to provide people to serve in places so that God's people can worship. And why? Because the entire purpose of kingdom advancement is to spread God's worship. And so as God's kingdom advancement advances, people serving and people worshiping, that also advances. And there are so many places we could take this and apply this for us today. Like, like for example, like when we serve here on Sundays on our serve teams, we're like the set-apart honored Levites that are given the privilege to play a part of facilitating worship of the Lord. Who knows? Maybe we should start calling our serve teams like the New City Levites. I don't know. You know, when people work in our kids' ministry, they're helping families worship the Lord. When people set up chairs and tear down and make coffee and put out signs and hold doors and park cars and set up audio and run sounds and sing sing and play instruments and everything that we do, when we do all these things, we're helping to usher in others to then worship the Lord. You know what? Those who serve the Lord, like the Levites here on Sunday, God sees that and honors that and absolutely, like it's absolutely a part of kingdom advancement. You know, we could take this same idea and translate it to when we plant churches and we send out missionaries and we host city groups and lead Bible studies. Like we are serving to usher in further worship and God sees it and honors it. Again, when God's kingdom expands, so does worship. They go hand in hand. And what is unique and interesting is something else we see that comes as God's kingdom expands. And as we start to transition to our next point, it's it's the places of refuge. Specifically for those who have done wrong and are marginalized. You know, just like we see in Joshua 21 with specific cities allocated for the Levites that would eventually be places of worship, we also see in Joshua chapter 20 specific cities that are set apart for refuge. Look at chapter 20, verses 1 to 5. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge for which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hands because he has struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And we see it continue, and they set apart like these cities of refuge. And I want to point this out because we see that number four, kingdom advancement comes with places of refuge and justice. Because as God's kingdom advances, so does God's justice. Like we see God as fair in righting wrongs while also providing places of refuge and safety while justice is being enacted. Like God advocated for those who had done wrong by providing a place of refuge in the midst of their mistakes. And New City, this is the heart of God. Yes, God desires what is wrong to be made right, but in a fair way, while still also protecting them. And we know from other parts of Scripture that these cities are also for those who are sojourners and strangers. They're for the outcasts and for the marginalized. And as God's kingdom expands, places of refuge, they also expand. 
And as we bring all of this to today, bringing Jesus onto the scene, New City, this is exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus at the, gro- at the cross gave us a safe space of refuge from our sin. That's what Jesus is. Jesus is our refuge while also seeing God uh, perfectly portray perfect justice with our sin. Like in Christ, when we have done wrong and sin, we can trust and know that Jesus is our refuge, that he is our safe space. Like he brings us in. Jesus brings us in and he protects us. And not just that, when we have received as followers of Jesus, this refuge that we find in Christ, it then moves us to, as God's people to extend that same refuge that we have found in Christ to those around us. And so as the church, the people of God, as God's kingdom expands, so does God's refuge. Like as, kingdom expands, as ki- God's kingdom expands, it expands places of peace. In New City, this is what God has called our church to be and to do for those around us. And like, this is, this is not a unique call uh, just for us, but a call to all churches. We are to point people to Jesus, to find refuge in Christ, and to provide safe spaces for people to be broken and hurting. Like, our ongoing prayer is that New City would be a place to find rest and to be revived and to be restored and to find refuge in Jesus so that we can then be sent back out into the world. You know, we, inten- we intentionally pursue and invest our time and organizations that engage in the poor and the orphan and the widow and the unwed mother and the refugee for this exact reason. In about a month, we're going to have another serve week and intentionally try to be a small picture of peace and refuge to those in our community that need it. Like we're going to be serving foster moms with the intention of just providing a small taste of refuge and relief for just a, a moment. We'll be feeding the hungry to provide a refuge and relief even in small doses. Uh, this is what God has called us to do. Because as God's kingdom expands, bringing places of peace and rest and refuge and help to the marginalized, it just comes with it. They can't be separated. Like this is all over the Bible. And we don't serve in this way because it's trendy or because it's culturally expected from churches. No, we do it because this is what God's word demands and expects as his kingdom expands. Because as God takes over enemy territory, he instills places of refuge, rest, and worship. A new city for us today, this is the church. This is what we're all about. You know, we, we say often here that we're a broken church for broken people. We also say that we're a missionally urgent people, and it starts here in Tampa Bay. And as our church grows, and as we plant churches, and we send out missionaries and live on mission, we are expanding worship and refuge out to the world. And as we kind of continue to step back, And look at these nine chapters as a whole, looking at kingdom advancement. There's so many more things we could point out, but I can't help but see our next point, like all over all nine chapters. And it's number five, kingdom advancement happens through entrusting God's people. You know, we've seen our main idea that God gives generously for kingdom advancement. We can't miss that these gifts were given to his people. Yes, kingdom advancement, it is taking over enemy territory. It's a lifelong endeavor. We do it by serving and spreading worship and refuge to the world. But what we can't miss in all of this is it doesn't happen alone. Like this is an all-hands-on-deck community project. We don't, again, we don't have like a specific verse or a section on this. This is really just all throughout all nine chapters. If you go back and look at it, it's all over. Because we see tribe after tribe, God's people be, like, being entrusted with parts of God's kingdom. And as we think about uh, kingdom expansion for us today, we must first think people. We don't think first buildings or programs or places. No, we first think 
people. God has entrusted to us people. Yes, buildings and programs, they're helpful tools. But listen, there will not be buildings and programs on the other side of eternity. And yes, uh, we go to places, but we also go to places for the purpose of people. New City, God has been so kind to our church in so many ways, but as God's kingdom expands in our church through adding people into our family, so does the responsibility of God's people. You know, in the first chapter, first 12 chapters of Joshua, it highlights Joshua and how uh, Joshua is leading his people. But as God's kingdom expands and the presence of God expands into new places, the responsibility begins to be divided up to other people. And as God's kingdom expands and multiplies, God's people are then called up into more responsibility. You know, this is like, this happens all over the Bible. The Old Testament, New Testament, all over. God brings his presence to a place. God's worship expands, and then God entrusts his kingdom to then more people. And we hear that, and we see that. And uh, do you know what happens in churches most of the time just across America? About 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Like, this is just generally true in serving and in giving across the board, and specifically in the United States. And my hope and prayer is that New City will just continue to blow that statistic to pieces. And that we will be known as a church that bears one another's burdens, loves one another, and continually has people to step up and just always, just continually filling up the gaps. You know, every single one of our serve teams uh, right now can, can take more volunteers. Our kids team, setup team, first impressions team, parking, prayer team, our student ministry, all of them. As God's kingdom expands, uh, God's worship and serving and refuge also expands. But it happens through people. And, you know, we said we've got Serve Week coming up. And as our church grows, we want to expand our community partnerships. And we're looking for advocates for every organization we partner with that can help us mobilize more people into our community. And also in giving, we all need to ask, like, what does it look like to give generously for the mission here? And as we see in this entire story, God gave his people possessions and gifts to be used and stewarded for kingdom expansion. And for us today, we can easily translate that into our financial resources. Like the Bible is clear, we've, we've been entrusted to steward 100% of God's resources that he has given to us. And none of it is ours. It's all his that he entrusts to his people. He entrusts to us to steward. And so let's ask, how are we stewarding these resources? Specifically for kingdom advancement, to spread the worship of God, uh, to spread refuge around the world. You know, I said earlier, the end of every year, we highlight missions and church planning and kingdom advancing work. And we unapologetically ask for people to give above their normal tithes and offerings, highlighting kingdom advancement just around the world. And so I want us to start thinking, what would God have us give as a year-end offering for kingdom advancement? We'll have more details on this, uh, but I saw this in our text, and so I at least wanted to mention it. Because what we know to be true as we look further into our New Testament and into, into the Great Commission we know that God's kingdom, it was not and still is not bound to these borders and territories that we see in the book of Joshua. No, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 compels us to see kingdom advancement all over the world. It's for all peoples and all places and languages and cultures. Our mission church, our mission new city is the entire world. Our mission statement says we exist to see Jesus change lives and reach the world, leading us to our very last idea today. Number six, kingdom advancement doesn't stop until all have erred. New City, one of our three core values is missional urgency. Like the global mission of God is urgent. 
No questions asked. Like the, the burden that jump-started New City Church into existence, existence is the sheer fact that there are people all over the world that have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. And the hard reality is that in some of these places, there is absolutely nobody there to even tell them about it. Like there are people in places that literally have zero people to tell them about the good news of Jesus. And what we know about this good news is that it is only good news if it gets there in time. Like we have hope, we have healing and refuge to bring to a world that is longing to find it. There's just nobody there to tell them. Or simply just not enough gospel witness. Like the laborers are far too few. And what I love about this is that we have a promise that in the end, we see in Revelation 7, 9, this is what it says. It says a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. New City, we have a promise from Scripture that all people from all over the world will worship Jesus. No, not every person, but at least one person from every people group, they will worship Jesus. And New City, this gives us so much hope to go and to send and to give relentlessly for this purpose. Like we can send missionaries and hold the ropes knowing that God absolutely will accomplish his purposes. You know, this past year, we sent 15 people on short-term trips to the Dominican Republic into South Asia. And I would love for us to send two to three times that next year, if not more. You know, I've, you know what I've been praying specifically for this weekend as we kind of end our time? I've been praying that God would use this register of deeds text that we kind of skim over and gloss over out of Joshua to call multiple people to give a few years of their life to cross-cultural missions. You know, maybe you came in and you're a college student. Let me just ask, what would it look like to give two years of your life after you graduate and move to a place that has very little gospel presence? Like, what if God could use you to take one of those unreached people groups off the map? Or maybe you're in a stage or a season of life where you could give six months to a year and move to one of these places. Like, let me just ask, would you consider it? Would you, would you pray about it? Or maybe God is just calling you not for any length of time, but rather to go until he says, come back, with the understanding that it could be for the rest of your life. Y'all, God's desire is for global kingdom expansion. And just what if God is calling many of you to be like those Levites who go and serve in places to make the worship of Jesus accessible? I don't know how or when God will call, but I've been praying God would use this text of kingdom expansion to mobilize his people around our city and around the world. And maybe you think, you know, I'm pretty convinced God's not calling me to move my life to another country, and that's totally fine if you've prayed about it. But I would say... Still say, if you've never been on a short-term trip, you need to go on one. And if that's not on the table, I have no doubt that God calls each and every one of his people to give and to pray and to care and hold the ropes for all those who do. Because one of the things that I know, just like one of the simultaneous blessings that we receive when we see the world and pray for the world as God does, like being around the world in different cultures and different languages, we see, we start to see a bigger and a better picture of the heart of God. 
Because we just see that the American church is not bound by, uh, the church is not bound by American church programs. No, God relentlessly pursues his people all over the world in villages and huts in the slums and high up in the mountains. And he meets them right where they are and, and he brings them refuge and he leads them to worship. And you know how he does this? He does this through his people that sacrificially serve and pray and give and go in order to bring worship into new places. Like, yes, we're going to run hard here in the Tampa Bay area. We're going to do whatever it takes to reach the lost around us. We're going to seek to expand worship here in Tampa, but you better believe it will not stop here. No, we were going to do whatever it takes to get the gospel around the world to those who have never heard. And why? Because this is just the heart of God. This is what God does. And you know how this happens? We just, we remember that we're taking enemy territory. We see that this is a lifelong endeavor. That wherever we are, we're, we're to bring worship and refuge and that God, he entrusts his kingdom to us and it does not stop until all have heard. This is the way God expands his kingdom. And all of it is a gift to us. He's calling us to simply just look up and look out into the world and to see what he is doing. Would you pray with me? God, you... you desire to fill the entire earth with worship. And we have hope that one day this, the entire world will be completely made new where the enti your entire presence will fill the new heavens and the new earth. And God, we long for that place. And God, I pray and I ask that you would use people in this room today or possibly just watching or listening online. God, you would use people to go and take worship into a new place and so that we as the people of God, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, we will be standing and worshiping with people from just the, the sheer influence that we've been able to have as a church. God, we pray that you would call people first to Jesus, that you would call people to trust in you today, that you would make them children of God today by saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. But God, we also pray that you would call people to the ends of the earth so that the name of Jesus would fill the earth. God, we love you and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.